Well, good morning. How is everyone? I'm convinced. Um, you've, you've probably heard me uh, talk about a guy named Charles Spurgeon before. If not, you're going to now. Uh, he was preaching in a time uh, before amplification existed uh, and wrote in one of his books called Lectures to My Students uh, that a man should not go into ministry, he should not become a pastor if he does not have a broad chest and is not able to project the word. Uh, and I say that not to say I think I have a broad chest or anything, but to say that if perchance we lose electricity again, I'm not stopping, all right? I'm, I'm proclaiming, okay? Uh, so uh, if, if that does happen, just be ready and put your listening ears on, uh, and I will speak as loudly as I can. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning uh, to have the opportunity to preach the word. Uh, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, as we will be considering this morning verse 11 from Romans chapter 12. Um, I did want to read a little bit of the broader context as well. Uh, so you will see verses 9 to 13 on the screen, but we will be focusing specifically on verse 11 this morning. So you can read along with me either in front of you in your lap or in the screens. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And again, we will be considering verse 11, which says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thankful that you have created all things created us in your image, and revealed yourself to us. God, you have not left us wondering about who you are and what you are like. We're so thankful for that. And so God, as we consider your word together this morning, I do just pray and ask that you would help us to hear it as what it really is, which is your word. And we ask, God, that even by, by your Spirit here among us this morning, that you would speak to us individually, but that you would speak to us as a body as well. That you would help us to see what is required of us and how we are to love one another. I do just pray for clarity, and I pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word this morning. May we see the risen Christ and follow in his footsteps 
faithfully. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus with great thanksgiving. Amen. We live in a culture uh, that is obsessed with self. There's a technical term that has been used, that has been developed to describe this obsession. Uh, you may have never encountered this term. It's, it's expressive individualism. But I can guarantee you that you have encountered its fruit. Expressive individualism usually shows itself in phrases like, be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Be yourself. You do you. All of these statements are examples of expressive individualism. As Ryan Fullerton says, expressive individualism is the water we swim in every day. This way of thinking is so pervasive that we may not even notice just how affected by it we are, or, or even how much we actually encounter it every day. In a recent journal published for pastors, Jonathan Lehman helps us to understand a little bit more about expressive individualism and, and even just how pervasive it is. Um, and I'm, I'm quoting him word for word, so, so don't blame me when it's stuck in your head the rest of the day. Uh, he says, think of Elsa's song, Let It Go, which maybe there are many of us here this morning who have it memorized. She says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Her point is that she gets to define who she is and what she can do. And no one else can tell her otherwise. Tim Keller says of these lyrics that they serve as a good example of expressive individualism. He says, identity is not realized as in traditional societies by sublimating our individual desires for the good of our family and people. Instead, he says, we become ourselves only by asserting our individual rights against society. By expressing our feelings and fulfilling our dreams regardless of what anyone says. So in a nutshell, expressive individualism says that the only one who can truly define who I am is me, myself, and I. You see, expressive individualism looks to the self. It looks to the inner me, or, or they would even say the inner essence as the ultimate source of identity and authority. Maybe it would be helpful to think of expressive individualism in, in this way, uh, to show us just how shocking it is. Brian Rosner alters the Lord's Prayer, and I'm thankful that we've, we've sang the Lord's Prayer already, so that we can see just the, the stark contradiction, the, the stark distinction that exists between the Lord's Prayer and, and the prayer of expressive individualism which goes like this. My essence within. Help me to find my authentic self. 
my kingdom come, my will be done from birth to seventh heaven. Give me today my daily spread. Forgive not my enemies as I suppress those who sin against me. Lead me not into self-doubt, but deliver me from all external authorities. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are mine, now and forever. So why do I bring this up? And why do I quote Frozen in order to do it? Because if, if this is the water that we swim in, we're going to encounter it. Or maybe we already have. Or maybe we've already taken these principles from this ideology and we have sought to live by them. I bring this up because what we are hearing this morning from God's word is a confrontation of this false ideology showing us that we cannot live in this way. We need to know that as Christians... We do not find our identity in self, but in Christ. And in in Romans chapter 12, the point is not inward-focused like it is in expressive individualism. It's outward-focused as defined by love. What we see in Romans chapter 12 is, is how the church is designed by God to function. And and the church cannot function if the guiding principle is me, myself, and I. The church will only be faithful when the focus moves from me to we. For instance, as we've already seen in, in Romans chapter 12, the gift that you have from God, the spiritual gift of verses 6 through 8, are not given to you to make you look good. They're meant to build up the body and remind each of us that none of us individually has all the body needs. Do you realize that that you and I need each other? Do you know that, that I cannot be faithful to all that God has commanded me without you? And and you cannot be faithful to all that God commands you without me and all of those sitting around you? Because the body has has many parts, and no part is dispensable. And so we should ask the question, well, well, how are we to do this? What, What is it going to look like for a body of believers, a church, to have as its focus not the worldly idea of expressive individualism, the you do you mindset, But the mindset that that Paul says in Philippians 2.4, that we look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. I think that's exactly what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, as he's telling us how to love one another well. Verse 9 sets the tone for, for all that follows in the rest of the chapter, possibly even the rest of the book. And I think that that we see as Christians, our guiding principle is not me, myself, and I. Our guiding principle is love. And as we have seen in this study so far from Pastor Tim and from Robbie, is what this love looks like. In verse 9, genuine love 
rejects evil and holds to what is good. In verse 10, genuine love is connected to the body and considers others first. And then finally, in verse 11, the verse that we are considering this morning, what will serve as our main point, we see that genuine love is not lazy. Genuine love is lively. So let's consider first that genuine love is not lazy. If, if we are to focus on ourselves, if, if we are not to focus on ourselves, but instead focus on others, building them up in love, there's going to be some work that's required on our part. I think that's what Paul is getting at in the first part of the verse. Everybody look at verse 11. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal. What Paul is saying, that is, if you want to have genuine love, you cannot rest on your laurels, so to speak. You see, genuine love is not lazy. There is work that is required in showing genuine love. And the final phrase of this verse gives a a focus to our love. Look at the end of verse 11. In, In the last phrase, Paul says, serve the Lord. Our love to one another takes place in the arena of our service to God. Another way to say that is is loving one another is part of our spiritual worship to God. And so again, we ask, what is this love supposed to look like? Well, we'll just think with me about, about what has led to where we are in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is an amazing chapter, and it's built on the foundation of everything that has come before it in Romans 1 to 11. Paul is is discussing great and deep theological truths in 1 to 11, and he gets to, to chapter 12, and he says, therefore, which is a marker for us to say, don't forget about all that stuff that has come before. If we're going to do what, he, what I say from this point forward, we need that theological foundation. Because that truth changes the way we live. And then in verse 12, uh, in, in chapter 12, in verses 1 and 2, we see that because of the extravagant mercies of God to us in Christ, though we are all sinners, as, as we've read earlier in the book of Romans, and He has forgiven us, He's justified us, He's given us His Spirit, He has directed His love toward us in a never-ending fashion, because of that, we live differently. These truths come out in our lives as we are to be living sacrifices whose minds are transformed by a constant diet of the Word so that we can know the will of God. In verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, we, we see that we're not to think of ourselves too highly, as that would prevent us from the unity we are to have as a body where no one part has greater significance. And we see that that whatever part we are, we are to be that part for the good of the body as a whole. And we come to verse 9, which tells us how we are supposed to go about this. Paul starts this section that has 13 commands dealing with how to be what God calls us to be with a clear, simple call to genuine love. 
none of what God calls us to do in Romans chapter 12 is possible without genuine love. And and so as we've seen already, genuine love is a love that does not seek a reward in return. It's unhypocritical, as it's not seeking the good of itself, but rather the good of the body. And and so again, this is is the exact opposite of of this you-do-you mindset. Because our focus as a church is not to build up self. It is, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Genuine love does not focus inward. It focuses outward. But genuine love is only possible for those who have been truly changed by the love of God. Only those who have been loved by God can love others without looking for something in return. Well, why is that? In part, it's because they know that in the love of God, they already have all that they need. For someone whose identity is in Christ and not self, the right focus of outward love is possible. That's what we see in in 9 to 21, which confronts head-on this you-do-you mindset. And even if we were to look back up to to verse 3, where it it starts to answer how we focus outward in love, it says, "For By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we're not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, we're focusing outward. And he goes on even to to look at the function of the body, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We are to use these gifts as a way of expressing our outward love to one another. So I think we we love one another best when we seek to use what God has given us by His Spirit for the building up of the body. Genuine love is using the gift God has given you to build up the body of Christ. So maybe you could think of of what your love should look like in this way. Show up to church on a Sunday morning intending to earn a Sunday afternoon nap. That is, show up to church ready to pour yourself out for the good of the body. Our focus for when we gather should be outward, not inward. And you and I should have as our goal loving our brothers and sister in Christ when we show up on a Sunday morning. And I realize that that's something that, it, that is going to take an abundance of energy on your part. But our love is expressed in our service to God by using what He has given us to build up our brothers and sisters. Do you have the gift of mercy? 
love someone by hearing their burdens and praying for them. You have the gift of teaching. Share something with with God's word that you have learned in the last few days with the people that you sit around every week. I know we don't technically have assigned seats, but we kind of do. And so if, if you could come ready to think, oh, you know what, I'm going to sit near Isaac this week. I'd really like to share this with him. That will encourage him and allow you to exercise your gift. Or, or do you have the gift of generosity? Come ready to put your offering in the box or find a brother or sister to spend time with outside of, of a Sunday morning, Sunday morning gathering. Our love for one another is best expressed by building up our brothers and sisters in Christ, by using the gifts the Spirit of God has given us. If you're looking for a way to shift from me to we, try starting with showing up early or staying late on a Sunday morning with the goal of encouraging one person. Work toward increasing that. And watch what God does in our body. It will take energy on our part. It will take a time commitment, but doing so will build up the body in love. Now, I, I love Sunday afternoon naps. Or maybe I should say I used to love Sunday afternoon naps. But I will admit, I've taken many Sunday afternoon naps that I didn't earn. I've shown up on a Sunday morning looking only to get and not to give. And, and in those moments, I'm thankful for the work of Christ on my behalf who forgives my sin. But guess what? There's another opportunity a week from now. And, and if the grace of God has, has revealed sin, I can ask him for grace to do otherwise and come ready next time to give. Serving the Lord by loving one another is not something that, that we can be slothful about. It takes time, energy, and intentionality. But that is exactly what we're being commanded to do here. Paul says, do not be slothful. Meaning we are to expend energy in loving one another. Now, I don't, I don't know a lot about sloths. Other than the fact that it was my brother's go-to insult in high school. Um, specifically, though, he would call you a three-toed sloth. And, and so, most likely, the, the picture that I have in my mind of sloths has been just infected by that. Uh, but, but as far as I can tell, sloths are slow-moving, unmotivated, unintentional animals. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not how we are to love one another. We should be quick to expend our efforts in loving one another, seeing the love God has shown us as the motivation of our love for one another. And we should go about it in intentional ways. In this verse, slothful and zeal serve as opposites. To drive home exactly what Paul means, slothful is laziness. Zeal is energy. So it's almost as if Paul is saying, if you want your love to be genuine, 
you cannot be lazy about showing it. You must work hard to show love. And thanks to the greatest Christian band that has ever existed, or at least maybe the most quintessential 90s band uh, there ever was, DC Talk, we know that love is a verb. Uh, Just listen even to to verse 3 of their song called Love is a Verb. If you've not listened to it, go home and listen to it. It will be nostalgic, maybe. They're speaking of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, and they say, He gave up His life so that we may live. How much more love could the Son God give? Here's the example that we ought to be matching. Love is a word that requires some action. The love that we are to show to one another is not lazy. It is zealous and eager. And you see, the greatest example of love that we have ever seen is the Lord Jesus who went to the cross to give up his life in our place so that we could be forgiven. And Hebrews 12, 2 gives us important insight here. It says, looking to Jesus, which is always a good thing, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How how did Jesus go to the cross? Joyfully. Brothers and sisters, our Savior laid his life down for us joyfully. May we follow his example of love and not be slothful in zeal. Brian Rosner says this, Just as our identity as children of God was forged through an act of amazing love, so too, we are to live lives of costly, selfless, others-centered love. What might that mean for our lives? I've already mentioned showing up, looking for a way to use your gift, or a way to encourage someone. But there are ways that we can do it throughout the week as well. What this might mean for some of us It's time spent in prayer, asking God to reveal where we have fallen short, asking God to reveal where we have focused on me, myself, and I, because it may be that that some of us are so concerned about our own desires being met that our love has gone lazy. But if this is the case for you, boy, do I have some good news for you. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your lazy love to God. Know He will forgive it because of the joyful love of Jesus. And beg Him to help you get your love back in shape so that you can build up those around you in love. Others of us may may need to find someone even this morning and just simply ask, how how can I pray for you? And if somebody asks how, how they can pray for you here this morning, tell them. Don't don't hold back. 
If they want to pray for you, love them by letting them. Or maybe others of us need to invite people into our home for a meal and talk about the burdens that we're facing currently. But whatever it may be, I'm I'm not sure about this, but I, I don't think any among us are suffering from being shown too much love. So, so don't be afraid to love someone who has already been loved by someone else today. The love of a brother or sister is one of the ways that we are assured of God's love for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, 5 and 6. It says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God has purposed that one of the ways in which we experience his love is by being loved by our brothers and sisters in Christ. So love away. And, And isn't the love we've been shown in Christ glorious enough to cause us to do this over and over again. The love we've been shown motivates us to show love to others. But, but here's the thing in all of this. See, there, there are thousands of ways that we could do this. There are thousands of ways for, for, for you and me to love one another. And so I could not possibly list them all. But praise God that that's not my job. God has given his spirit to any who have trusted Christ. So guess what you can do? Ask. You can ask God to show him how he would have you love those around you. And when he does, don't ignore it. I'll be honest, that's that's a big temptation of mine. I can blame being an introvert or come up with with any number of excuses. But in reality, that's just me focusing on me, myself, and I. Instead of submitting myself to God and trusting that he will give me the ability to do what he has called me to do. So, let's not be lazy in our love for one another. But instead, as we turn to our second point, may our love be lively. Because genuine love is not lazy, genuine love is lively. Look again at verse 11 with me. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We see another word, fervent, that adds to the fact that love is not lazy. To be fervent means... To have some level of enthusiasm about what you are doing. And and so remember, this is all taking place in the context of of serving the Lord by loving others. So instead of being lazy with our love, we are to be excited and and showing it with great enthusiasm. Our willingness to to show one another love should be about at the level of of asking a two-year-old if he wants to go to ice shack. Or maybe the level of excitement of his parents when it's coffee week. But unlike that two-year-old, 
who wants ice cream on the boat and to play with friends, what is the source of our enthusiasm? If we continue reading in verse 11, it says, Be fervent in spirit. Now, some of your translations may instead say, Be fervent in the spirit, with a capital S. Or maybe it just says, Be fervent in spirit, with a lowercase s. And if it does, you may have a footnote that, that says, Or, comma, fervent in the spirit. Uh, you can ask your neighbor, Is your s capitalized or lowercase? Uh, find out which translation is which. But firstly, I just wanted to give a, a brief aside on, on why this might be, and then move on to which I think it should be and why. So the language that the New Testament was written in is, is Greek. Ancient Greek is a language that is vastly different from the English we speak and write in today. One of those differences could lead to why some Bibles capitalize the S in spirit, and others do not, or have a footnote with a in alternate reading. Now, the reason for this is that in ancient Greek, there were no uppercase and lowercase letters. There were just letters. And so the word for spirit is pneuma, and that is used for both spirit in the sense of soul spirit, but also in the sense of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that, that we would go about figuring out which is being referred to is to look at the context around it. In verse 11, the context does not clearly point one way or the other. And so the translation committee, of whatever translation you're reading, made a decision and went with it. Well, I too have made a decision and I'm going with it. I think spirit here is referring to the Holy Spirit. Having just discussed the spiritual gifts, that is the gifts that are given to Christians by the Spirit... I think that it makes sense that any further references in the same flow of thought would refer to the Holy Spirit as well. So we would read instead, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the Spirit, serve the Lord. I think that it's referring to the Holy Spirit because I, I don't think that this passage is teaching that, that we have to produce within ourselves excitement about loving our brothers and sisters. I think Paul is telling us who the motivation for our love is. The Holy Spirit. And so what it is teaching is that we must rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us to be excited, to be enthusiastic about showing love to our brothers and sisters. Jay Adams notes briefly that this passage is not about doubling our efforts. I agree. This passage is about you and I needing the Spirit of God to produce within our spirits excitement about showing genuine love. I think even the word fervent helps make that case. It could also be translated as boiling, as in boiling in the Spirit. When water boils, it's being acted on by something outside of itself. And, and we, too, need the Holy Spirit to act on us, to energize us for the work that he wants us to do. Putting our gifts to work requires great energy. But it's not energy that we have to manufacture. Even just consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, 
but the grace of God that is with me. So praise God that he, he not only tells us what to do, but he empowers us to do it. If I want to serve the Lord by loving others, I need the Holy Spirit to enable me to do that. Why? Because I'm so quick to focus on myself and seek my own good before the needs of others. But the type of love commanded in this passage is not that. And, and the right kind of love that, that we're being shown is not something that, that you or I can do in our own strength. Tom Schreiner says it this way, The work of the Holy Spirit and His effect on the human spirit merge in Paul's thinking. That is, the Holy Spirit works on us to give us what we need to serve the Lord by loving others. Doug Moo brings it all together by saying, Such zeal, fired by the Spirit Himself, will lead to a true serving of the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to do what we are commanded to do. We are to serve the Lord by loving others in the power that the Holy Spirit provides us. And this phrase, serve the Lord, shows us that this is to be the all-consuming motivation for our lives. We are committed to one another first. Uh, we are committed to one another by first being committed wholeheartedly to the Lord and seeking to follow the example that, that He has given us. We are not to be lazy in love, but energized by the Holy Spirit because we are serving the Lord. So what might this look like for our lives? I think this portion of the text is going to, it's going to require a lot of prayer. It's going to require that we ask God to root out from our lives anything that would prevent our love from being lively. We're going to need to ask God to, to show us, to reveal to us anything in our lives that would keep us from serving the Lord eagerly. But it's also going to take praying and asking God that He would empower us by His Spirit to do what He calls us to do. Similar to these things, and just things that we can be praying for, in the same journal that I mentioned at the beginning, Ab Abigail Dodds writes specifically to parents about how to keep the focus on serving the Lord over self, but I think it's generally applicable to all of us when she says, we need to ruthlessly reject yourself and your sense of things as the center of the universe. We are to be who we are. Christians who belong to God, who have been bought with a price, whose inner and outer self are meant to glorify God. You see, Romans 12, 11 calls us to a spirit-empowered love that looks to others because of the love that God has modeled for us. Our love comes from the realization that in giving it to others, what we're actually doing is serving the Lord who has loved us by dying in our place. And so that, that makes our, our love gospel-rooted love that knows the way in which God has loved us and seeks to love our brothers and sisters in the same way. Now what may be difficult about this love is just how countercultural it is. 
because you're going to hear the world constantly saying to you, you do you. Be your true self. Focus on yourself, and and so on and so forth. The world will try to tell you that the most important person for you to love is you. Brothers and sisters, do not fall for that lie. We have seen in God's word this morning the exact opposite. The most important person for you to love is the Lord Jesus. And he calls us to love one another by putting others even over our own needs. I I hope you know that, that self is not the solution. Our risen Savior Jesus is. And and he modeled for us what genuine love looks like. And his love on the cross was spirit-empowered, joyful, and eager. May we know how, how to love one another in that way. Because I think this is one of the ways that you and I as Christians can be different from the world. And becoming increasingly convinced that our, our greatest defense of the faith in the years to come will be our love for one another. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this, people will will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The way we can show the world that we have experienced the love of a God who is real is by loving one another zealously. In a culture that, that is, a, is obsessed with self, if we zealously love one another, you better believe that, that we're just going to be seen as plain weird. But that's okay. It's the kind of weird that, that shows people this is not something that is natural to me. As a matter of fact, it's supernatural. And, and we can say in response... The God of the universe who loved me and gave himself for me gives me the energy to be this kind of weird. Can I tell you more about him? Brothers and sisters, may our love for one another be the kind of weird that causes people in our community to ask, what's going on there? And then may we be faithful to tell them of our wholehearted devotion to the Lord that is our motivation for love as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be lively, not lazy in our love. Let's pray to that end. Father, we ask that you would make that true among us. May our love be lively, may it be zealous, empowered by the Spirit so that those around us would know that we are Christians by our love. We praise you and thank you and pray that you'd be glorified in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.